0: Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor, ARA Group, one of Australia’s greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe bag of donuts. Here’s your host, Barnaby Howeth.
1: Welcome to Everyday Greatness and thanks for listening. This is a show designed to celebrate the greatness inside everyday people. So grab a drink, kick your feet up and settle in. Before I start today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Australia. I think acknowledging our traditional owners is more important than just reading from a generic, impersonal script. So I'd like to honour our Indigenous Australians from the heart. I love being an Australian, so I'd like to acknowledge those who came before us, those who share their land with us today and those who follow us. Some of the things that have happened in this country in the past embarrass me as a white Australian, so I'd like to acknowledge that I feel horrible for any pain that's been caused, but I'd also like to acknowledge how beautiful your future, your past and your place in today's society are. Thank you for sharing your country with us. I want to make special mention today of our episode's sponsor, an individual human being, Sam Mostyn. I asked Sam if her business would like to sponsor this episode, but she told me, I want to sponsor you personally. This is me backing you and what you are doing. Sam helped Prime Minister Paul Keating on the Sydney Organising Committee for the Olympic Games in 2000. She was the first female AFL commissioner, and she's just stepped down from the board of the Sydney Swans. So Sam is kind of a big deal in Australian business. And her decision to sponsor this episode personally has made my head so big, I need to walk outdoors sideways. Thank you, Sam, for backing Everyday Greatness. People's expectations of who another person should be is often completely different to who that person actually is. People should be proud to be comfortable in their own skin. There's a lot of people out there who adopt the old adage that to be successful, you need to look successful. So there's a lot of people running around today who aren't very successful, but they're trying to look like they are. My guests today, Ryan Fitzgerald and Lael Qasim, are successful because they are comfortable in their own skin, and they look successful because they don't need to keep up appearances to try and fool people into thinking they're happy. They're just happy human beings. Lael Qasim is a female Muslim Australian rules footballer. She's defying cultural expectations on what she should be doing with her life. And Ryan Fitzgerald was touted as a future superstar in the AFL, but his life went in a very different direction. He's now a morning radio co-host on Nova 96.9 in Sydney. Ryan and Lael don't waste time worrying about what other people expect of them. They're just happy running around being the people they actually are, and it makes them both very happy. I'd like to introduce Ryan Fitzgerald right now. Ryan Fitzgerald was the fourth pick in the 1998 AFL Draft. His AFL career was cut short on 15 games over five seasons, but his life went in a very different direction that few would have predicted. He went on reality TV show Big Brother, where he went in with an angle that he'd failed in most things he'd tried in his life. True to form, Ryan was voted out in fourth place. But Ryan has succeeded in staying himself regardless of what situation he's in. Ryan's now a popular media personality, a smitten husband, and a proud father. He doesn't try and be a different person to impress different crowds. Just looking at the numbers, Ryan doesn't seem like he would be touted as a successful human being. He played 15 games of AFL over five seasons for two separate clubs He was voted out of the Big Brother house in fourth place. He started a group with some mates called the Massive Loser Squad. Ryan Fitzgerald doesn't sound like a beacon of success, but on the contrary, he's just a flat-out good man who loves his family, so he couldn't be more successful. Ryan makes no apology for being who he is, and it seems to be working out for him. Ryan joins me now on Everyday Greatness, and I'm proud to say that. Thank you, Ryan, for joining me.
0: Barnaby Howard. It's an absolute pleasure, mate.
1: So if you look at just look at the numbers in your life, you may not look to be that successful human being. Do you do you feel like you're a do you feel like
0: you're a successful man? It's a really good question, Barnaby. Um, you know I do. And it, it's really how you determine. Um, success, you know what I mean, and happiness. And for me, I think the the two main things that you talk about there is being a husband, a happy husband, and uh, and also being a family man, a father. And um, mate, I, with the family that I have, I, I couldn't be I couldn't be happier. Um, very very lucky and fortunate to meet my beautiful wife and have two magnificent boys. So um, you know, it's. You know, all the numbers around that, Barnaby, um, you can look at those, but um, I tell you what, it's, uh, for me, I, I, I'm on top of the world with, with how my life has panned out. So you're part
1: of a group called the Massive Loser Squad. When you were a kid and you found out after you'd been voted out of the Big, big Brother house, you'd been ripped off tens of thousands of dollars by your mates from the Massive Loser Squad. Things were really stacked against you as a young bloke, weren't they?
0: Yeah, they were. Um, we, it, you know, I think it was a defence mechanism, our, our, us boys putting that group together. It was a bit of a, a piss take and we just thought, you know, we were always, we came from a pretty rough area, grew up down the south of Adelaide. Um, it was a great life though. We absolutely adored it. And um, we just were a group of guys that um, seemed to have a, have a lot of stories and made people laugh about uh failing all the time so i thought it would have been a great angle to go into the big brother house and uh, luckily for me they just thought it was a a great story story storyline so they threw me in there as the loser
1: what a title (laughs) so when you were drafted by the sydney swans as a young kid did you think that was the start of your journey to greatness
0: uh yeah without a doubt i mean i um It all happened really quickly for me. I went from suburban footy one year to SANFL football in in the South Australian League and then got drafted by the Swans. So it all happened really, really quickly. Um, But it was every kid's dream. I I absolutely adored football. It was my whole life. It was the only thing I thought I was ever good at. And um, yeah, to to get an opportunity, um, like you said, unfortunately with injuries and my career being cut short, just to get an opportunity to play, I was so blessed that I, I could do that. Your
1: mate at Nova, your newsreader, Matt De Groot, often gives you a bit of stick about being constantly injured in your AFL career. Just how frustrating was it, though, to be
0: out more than you were in during your AFL career? Yeah, very frustrating um, because there was a moment there where I, I honestly thought that uh, I could – Compete on the level that everyone else was in the AFL, and my my goal, I just wanted to be a regular spot in the in the first side for the Sydney Swans. But I just, with injuries, having weeks off, and constantly trying to prove myself, um, it was really really frustrating when you know your body just can't do it anymore. And and I was having operations and coming back, going, my oh guy can't run as fast as I could. Um, you know, I can't jump as high as I could anymore. In the back of my mind, that started, you know, seeding a bit of doubt in my head. And unfortunately from there, it just, it, it got worse and worse.
1: Let me test your memory and ask you a few questions about Big Brother. Yeah. So you when you went into the Big Brother house, did you go in there with any strategies or tactics you were going to use to be somebody You actually weren't to try and get
0: ahead in the house? I, the strategy that I had, actually, this is funny, Barnaby, because uh, you played, we played with a guy at the Swans, Stephen Carey was his name, and his cousin was was Ben, yeah. Steph was a great man. His cousin was Ben, the guy that won the first Big Brother. So we knew Ben quite well. Here's a stat for you. I played
1: junior footy at Pennant Hills with Ben.
0: There you go. Yeah, because, yeah, well, Steph Steph was a Pennant Hills boy too, wasn't he? Correct. Yeah. So Benny went in there and he sort of gave me some uh, advice on what to do to stay low, stay out of trouble, um, uh, to try to get all the way through to the end. It helped. I did get all the way through to the end, but um, my year was the big one as well. The secret was that a million dollars was up for grabs. But I honestly believe the whole time – that with the background that I had and how fortunate I was to play AFL footy, I didn't think that Australia would vote for me to win that. So the guy that did win it that year was Trev. He was a furniture removalist, you know, and um, he he proposed to his wife. They wanted to start a family. It was a great story and I always knew that he was going to win it.
1: Fair enough. Good on you, Trev. So in the house, did you find there are a lot of people – who weren't being themselves, people who were just putting on a different face to try and get ahead in the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It is funny. And and a lot of people go on, on big brother and and they audition as someone, a personality to get onto the show. And then when they get in there, they're they're totally different. It's a, it's a completely different world. It's not reality when you're in there because, um, you know, there's cameras everywhere. You know what I mean? That's, um, the other hard thing as well is that they put people in there to rub you up the wall and you can't in reality for me I walk away from those situations but in there you can't you have a fight with someone you wake up the next day and you got to go you got to start it again so it's um it's a very smart show the way that they put it together um and those clashes but um yeah there were a lot of people in there I think, who changed their personalities and and were totally different on the show.
1: Yeah. So with the people rubbing you up the wrong way, how much did the producers of Big Brother pull the strings behind the scenes to make that reality TV show more entertaining?
0: Yeah, they play a huge role. The storyline on Big Brother is massive. So this is the hard thing. When you're in there, you've got no idea how you're being portrayed to the the community. So we were in there and you know, you you do something wrong and then you would stew on it for for twenty four hours going, Oh God, are they gonna show that? How that how is that going to make me look on the outside? But they they can. I mean, reality there's a there's a huge debate now and you, you see it with all of them, like Married at First Sight and The Bachelor, and they can actually take one conversation that you have with somebody else and they can actually you know, cut and paste it into another conversation and they can they can determine that storyline any way that they want. want. And um, sometimes I don't agree with that. Um, they'll always defend themselves and say, well, you said it, but they can make you uh, – well, they can turn – you know what, they, they, they can turn someone into a villain quite easily if they want to. Yeah. At
1: the end of the day, though, if the producers didn't try and make things more entertaining – would a show about a bunch of strangers sharing a house being filmed twenty four seven be interesting?
0: No, I, I totally agree <laughs> with you there. It has to be. It has to be interesting, and that's I always knew going in that you're going to get a couple of you know d heads going in there, and you know people want to see that. Um, and then you know it's it is really really interesting to see every single character that they pick, and if there is a science in doing it and who they cast um and how everybody you know got along with each other in the house so you do need I totally understand like I watch Married at First Sight but it gets me so angry and it's one of those moments where I have to watch it so it rolls me up all the time so it's successful in their casting I know exactly what you mean yeah. How
1: did, it make you, how did it make you feel when you got out of the Big Brother house and found out you'd been ripped off by your mates from the massive loser squad? I guess they weren't no. that big a bunch of losers in the end.
0: <laughs> no, they, you know what, Barnaby, I'll hold you up there. They didn't rip me off. So the boys, what happened is that we were selling those T-shirts and when I got out, I didn't know how it was going. And um, the first thing that happens when you get booted out of the, the Big Brother house is that you go in with a psychiatrist and they sit you down just to see how your mental space is. And I remember this woman going, well, first of all, I've um, just got to tell you straight up, but your mates have been selling your T-shirts and they've made a lot of money. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like how much? And I found out afterwards that the boys had something like $70,000 in a bank account just selling t-shirts. So the controversy was they the controversy was that they were going to use that money on voting to get me to win. But, you know, that was what the story was. Unfortunately, I can confirm to you right now, Barnaby, that they they weren't that smart. They, they didn't even think about doing that and they were actually pissing the money out the wall and having big parties on the weekend. It was the other way around. So that's how we lost a bit of the money.
1: Right. I, I apologise to <laughs> the massive losers squad. That sounds like it was, it was a, noble, a noble way of using the money. The world must have felt like your oyster, Fitzy, firstly playing in the AFL for the Swans and the Adelaide Crows, then being a national celebrity on Big Brother were you worried that your time had passed you when you left the Big Brother house?
0: Um, I, I always went in there hoping. I mean, it wasn't the be-all or end-all, and I, I, I wanted to get into the media industry. So I was just hoping that it may get my foot in the door. Um, B, I think I was very lucky being from South Australia because um, South Australia was in, uh, they were in, they were looking for local celebrities for radio and television. Usually in radio, they, get, um, they employ a lot of people from interstate. I think it makes a huge difference by using locals who knows the, know the area. And I was very lucky, Barnaby, that when I got out of the Big Brother house, that same year was the year that Nova actually started in Adelaide, 2004. And they basically said to me, well, we want you to come on as our sports reporter and on the breakfast show and that, that was 17 years ago and I've been there at NOVA ever since.
1: Beautiful. You did get your big break in the media when a NOVA executive in Sydney asked you to host the breakfast program. Now I'll just preface this question by saying you're, you're welcome to swear on this show. How did that conversation go down with the breakfast executive asking if you could host the breakfast show?
0: Right, yeah, so I, okay, so what happened, I did six and a half years of breakfast in Adelaide, which I absolutely adored, but, you know, at that age, getting up at four o'clock in the morning, it consumes your life. I then got told, uh, because I said to them, look, I would like to further my career if I can, and they said, well, Fitzy, we would love for you to move to Sydney and do the national drive show. So I went from doing starting at 6 a.m., that was our 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. was the breakfast slot, slot to then starting at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was heaven. Whipper and I started the Fitzy and Whipper show, and for eight months we were doing drive, you get to sleep in, you get all day to prepare for your show. It was just bliss, and then I remember um, – the program director at Nova pulled us in one day and I thought, oh, this is a bit serious. And he said, guys, i got great news. We want you guys to be the new Sydney breakfast show. And I looked at him and I went, nah, I don't want to do it. And he goes, what are you talking about? Like this is the most coveted spot in Australia. And I said, "No, nah, I've done six and a half years of getting up at four in the morning and I don't want to do it anymore. And he goes, you can't do this. And I said, yes, I can. <laughs> I'm happy with drive. And um, he sort of, I walked out of the room and then he said, oh, look, let's talk about it a little bit more. He opened up the checkbook a little bit more and I said, yeah, I can go back to breakfast now. We can do that. (laughs)
1: Very good move. (laughs) Now, on a different tangent, lockdown has been tough for everybody. I hear you had an emotional Father's Day. Tell me about the conversation you had with your father while he was at the footy in Adelaide.
0: Yes, so my old man, uh, hes what I love about my dad is that he's dedicated his whole whole life to football, playing, coaching and, you know, like his weekends now are either made up of, you know, the footy club that we grew up in, the Portnalunga Footy Club or South Adelaide in the SANFL where I played or he goes and watches the Crows. So um, I, I said... I, I thought I'll give Dad a call early in the morning and get it out of the way, um, and I bloody I ring him at like nine o'clock in the morning, and there's Dad. Dad is at the under thirteens nalunga finals, and I just went, "Oh, this is just this is his whole life." The, you know, he's he's there's no other happier place that Dad would rather be. Down watching the footy and getting a phone call f- from his son for Father's Day, so he was quite emotional.
1: Beautiful. And did he realise which son it was?
0: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's only got one son. You know, actually, here's a little stitch-up we did on him over the years. Barnaby, I found out, Mum told me, I didn't know this, but Dad was engaged to another woman before her and this woman's name was Elizabeth Taylor. That was just her name. So on radio, I thought, I've got to get him, I've got to stitch him up here. He didn't know that I knew this. So I got a guy at the office to ring my father and say, hi, Mick, you don't know me. I'm really nervous doing this. But my mother is Elizabeth Taylor, who you were engaged to all those years ago. And Mick, um, for years and years, I've been trying to find out who my biological father is. And, and mum's finally told me, and it's it's you. <laughs> and, um he, he was freaking out. He didn't know he had a, another child, but it was all made up, obviously. And the funniest thing was is this guy from work said to him, Mick, you know, I would really love to catch up with your dad and, and have a coffee. And my old man goes, oh, mate, I would love to, but I'm really busy at the moment. I've got no time. So even though it was a fake child, he couldn't even find time to have a coffee with his new child.
1: Ryan Fitzgerald, you've always got a cracking story and I really appreciate you sharing a few of them with us today. You're a very good man and I really appreciate you taking the time to come and speak to me today on Everyday Greatness.
0: You're a good man yourself, Barnaby. Thank you very much for having me, buddy. Thanks, Fitzy. Thanks. When young
1: children today grow up, they'll, they'll find it just as hard to believe there was a day when Muslim women didn't play Aussie rules footy as today's 40-year-olds find it hard to believe there was a day when there was no television. Muslim women playing Australian rules football will be seen as no big deal, thanks to pioneers like my next guest, Lael Qasim. Layel started playing footy after her older brother told her how much he loved playing when he was dominating for the Western Suburbs Magpies. Layel co-founded the Auburn Giants Football Club, that gave culturally diverse women a place to enjoy what was largely a forbidden thrill, women's football. Turns out Layel is a half-good footballer. She now plays at the Inner West Magpies, where she enjoys a higher level of competition. Lael Kassim is like any other person at the Magpies Footy Club. She goes to training, works hard, says g'day to her teammates and gives everything she has to win games of footy. But by being like every other Joe Bag of Donuts, Lael is blazing a trail that will help young Muslim women believe that if they want to play footy, they can. I'm honoured and privileged to say that Lael Qasim joins me now on Everyday Greatness. Layel, thank you and welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: What made you start playing Aussie Rules footy in the first place?
2: Um, Well, like you mentioned, I grew up with nine older brothers and coincidentally, they started playing AFL and I watched them growing up playing footy. Um, back then, I think it was like in the 70s, my mum didn't want them playing rugby league and she didn't have a clue what AFL was, so she said they could play AFL. And lucky enough, I just followed in their footsteps.
1: Very good, good footsteps to follow. Do you still watch AFL outside when you're playing? Who do you follow in the AFLW?
2: Um, yeah, I've watched AFL religiously before the AFLW and I, I, I'm a proud Bombers supporter, so they're not going too well this year, but um, in the AFLW, you can't go past the Giants.
1: Very true, very true. <laughs> Why did you decide to start the Auburn Giants footy club?
2: Yeah. Um, I wanted to normalise playing sport and I wanted to give people from diverse communities opportunity to play sport and to play what is largely Australian, but the most Australian code and that's Australian was football. Um, sport has given me the opportunity to travel and to meet different people and to come into contact with people that I probably wouldn't have. And I was fortunate from a young age to have that opportunity and when I saw an opportunity to give that to a lot more other girls, I couldn't go past it.
1: I'm sure there's a lot of girls that thank you. Do you consider yourself to be a trailblazer for other young Muslim women who want to play competitive team sport?
2: Uh, This is a hard one. I think there's so many girls doing so many different things that are inspiring the next generation and whether, you know, it's me or someone like Hanin Zureka who's, you know, a young Lebanese Muslim girl playing in the AFLW, everyone has a part to play and I think if I've made a small impact on people's lives then that's amazing. Um, I think that we started and created opportunities for many girls, but there's going to be a lot more girls doing a lot more better things than I have.
1: Did you have to give up your Muslim beliefs to play footy or can you still hold true to your Muslim faith and play football?
2: Definitely. uh, Islam promotes women doing a lot of things and doing and doing anything. Islam for me is a way of life. So in every aspect and whatever aspect I choose to do, it just gives me the guidelines on how to do that and, and, and the best way of doing that. So I definitely held strong to my faith. And if anything, sport allowed me to be stronger in those because I was approached and questioned on a lot of different things and I had to um Study and learn more and be stronger in that faith. So with anything, I wear my scarf with pride and my faith with pride, and um, definitely the two come hand in hand.
1: Beautiful. How great an influence have your brothers been in your footballing life?
2: Uh, My brothers are my world. Honestly, when I tell people I had nine older brothers, they feel sorry for me, but I wouldn't have have it any other way. They're the most amazing brothers and they might look scary and big but they're so soft and they've just encouraged me to be me they've encouraged me to go out there and take it on and um yeah they've been a really big influence and I'm so grateful that they've given me the opportunities that um, I've had and it's just helped me grow not just on the football field but even off the footy field
1: and off the footy field how great an influence have your brothers been in your overall life
2: um, well, early on, I would say they've had a, a massive influence and I'm grateful that like I'm the youngest because basically I was really brought up with my brothers and they all grew up in Australia. So from a young age, they sent me to a school in the city um, far from where I live and interacting with I was only non. I was only Muslim girl in my school, so they gave me that opportunity from a young age to have those multicultural conversations, multi faith conversations, and connections and friendships, and learning to go out there and, and be on, and you know and show the people what Islam's about. And I think that's, if anything's given me a greater perspective and and broadened my opportunities. And I think from that young age, it was it was the best gift they could have given me.
1: It's a good gift. Have you been able to tell your extended Muslim friends and family that you play Aussie rules footy?
2: Initially it was a hard conversation to have and initially it it was frowned upon but not because of Islamic understandings. It it had nothing to do with Islam because Islam promotes it. It was more of a cultural thing and you know, every culture has their own value system and every culture has its own expectations and, and whatnot. And I think given the fact that really the Lebanese community, in a sense, is very early on in his generations living in Australia, a lot of their kind of, when they migrated to Australia, brought along their value systems. Um, so initially it was hard, but I did it because I did it because I, I knew that it needed to be done and it, those conversations needed to be had and so that the future generation of girls didn't have those issues and I don't think it it is a problem um, going forward. But, yeah, initially it was a hard conversation to have. I had a lot of people thought I was crazy. Um, But, yeah, looking back now, they see how happy I am. They look at how much positive influence sport is and they are definitely getting on board slowly.
1: I'm sure they were difficult conversations, but I'm glad you had them. Do you find it tough at social gatherings with your Muslim family and friends not being able to sit and talk about your last game of footy, especially if you had a blinder?
2: Yeah. Um, if anyone, is probably my mum that I would love to have a conversation with, you know, I would love for my mum to come and watch me play footy and I'd love to have that conversation with her. But, you know, I've come to terms with that she's, you know, 70. She grew up and lived in a different world in a different time and, you I understand that she, you know, every mum wants the best for their children and and what the best is in her mind might not be the same, but um, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. You know, you want your parents to be proud of you and unfortunately she can't see that or doesn't really get that. Um, So, yeah, it's hard, but uh, like I said, I think it's changing slowly and I think with each generation that that would not be an issue.
1: Very true. After your team, the Inner West Magpies, wins a game, and the whole club goes back to the club rooms to celebrate, and everybody's chatting, laughing, having a good time, having a couple of drinks. Do you ever go over in the corner, have a quiet moment to yourself, breathe it all in, and think, "How good is this?"
2: yeah that's what we play footy for right like that's that's the best thing that's the, the camaraderie and in the, in the, in the, in the sheds after the game win or loss, I think that that friendship and that mateship with everyone um, we all share that common goal to win and when it, when we do and we play well it's the best feeling in the world and it's kind of what we all strive for and what we play footy for so you know I'm grateful for those moments and I, uh, it makes me push harder for the next week.
1: How disappointed were you that your season was cut short this year due to coronavirus?
2: You know, we were on a roll towards the end of that season. We started off probably a bit slow and we beat the reigning premiers in our last game before COVID and we we were pumped to keep going and see what would happen in finals. So uh, as a team and as a club, it was disappointing because, you know, we've had a lot of, we put a lot of training and a lot of effort into, into those games and we're just peaking. So, you know what, but we can't really complain. There's, a lot more worse things happening in the world right now and as long as you know we're all safe and healthy and, and we keep each other um in that light given the current situations yeah disappointing one end but also grateful for the fact that we, we we're healthy and you know we're not dealing with a lot of things that many other people around the world might be dealing with right now
1: very well said if you see those celebrations back at the footy club after the team has a big day or the club has a big day and a heap of wins and it gets a bit out of hand and people start drinking too much, what do you do as a, as a strong Muslim woman? Do you tell them to pull their heads in?
2: No, definitely not. Uh, you know, always, I'm brought up, and my faith tells me that you know everyone can each to their own in a sense. And if that's what they value, then I'm happy to see them happy and to see them celebrating. But for me, someone with a faith that doesn't, um, that I don't drink and I don't like being around those that are drinking heavily. If it gets to that situation, you know, I'd, you know, give a, give a high five to a friend and whatnot, and then just leave and let them celebrate. Um, and that's the kind of the different. Not obstacles, but I think the guidelines that my faith gives me to teach me and to show me what, how the best way to celebrate might be and, and whatnot. So, you know, I celebrate with them as much as I can, and when I feel like it's enough for me, then I, I just leave, and it's it's all good. There's no judgment on anyone or anywhere, and um, I see them back at training on the Tuesday or whatnot. Tell me
1: about your social nights out. Are there? What are the main differences between going out with your Muslim mates on a Friday night? To going out with your Australian footy mates after a game on Saturday?
2: Um, you know, I've had the luxury of playing with Auburn, which is uh, 99% Muslim, and then at uh, West where I was the only Muslim girl. So very different experiences on, on both ends and both very similar in a way too. Like, you know, after a footy game, the girls just love to ha- get together and bond and, and have a laugh and talk about some of the things that happen on the field. Um but we just do it in different ways. So with the Auburn team, and I remember us always going back to the local, you know, chicken shop and sitting around, having lunch and having a laugh with a few drinks and those drinks being Cokes or waters or whatnot. Um, and very, and then, yeah, that, that was kind of And But with the West Girls, in a similar note, you know, everyone just wants to get together, have a laugh and, and you know, talk about things that might have happened and, and just share those stories with one another. And I think, you know, with the West Girls, it just involved – drinking and really and that's probably the only difference um other than that as human beings we all share similar characteristics and that human connection and the sharing of stories is a universal practice and I think we come together in you know the the differences between us and the stories that we might share is what is what's beautiful about where we live and what we do and how we share them whether we're drinking or not drinking is irrelevant
1: Beautiful answer. So let me ask you a question: as a as an Australian human being, how do you feel when the footy season finishes? Do you feel like you have to win the premiership to feel like it was a good season, or is that camaraderie and the going through struggling with your mates together enough?
2: Definitely, don't have to win the premiership to have a good season. Um, that would that's not, that would be you know great and all, but you know I think footy is far greater than just win the, the amount of wins or losses we have footy brings people together from all corners of, 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 the, of the world and, all, and of this country. And I think if when we have a good season, I'd say that we've formed connections and bonds that go far beyond the boundary lines. And for me, that's a success. You know, how, we, how we're seen from the wider community, how we're seen within the football community as a club and as a team and, and as friends is for me the telling of a great team and telling of a great season. Um, and, and those are the things that will remain with us forever.
1: Beautiful. You were saying the Auburn Giants are 99% Muslim. Did you feel accepted when you came into the Inner West Magpies footy club as a Muslim woman?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, my experience playing in the AFL competition um, has been great. Um, I had, you know, my, with the West, like a, like you know, my brothers played there initially, so um when I went in kind of had a little bit of history and kind of knew a little bit about the club but you know with football and I think what with any sport in general the unifying thing that bounds us together is playing sports so getting there and showing them running with them tackling with them getting on the footy field and, and, and putting your body on the line that earns respect and it doesn't matter what faith you're from or what you look like or the colour of your skin but we're all there chasing that footy and I think that's what is uh, binding.
1: Beautiful. And do you feel accepted in Australia as a Muslim woman?
2: This is a tough one. I thought about this question <laughs> for a little while. Um, I think Australia is tolerating to differences to a certain level. If I'm going to be completely honest, um, you know, my experiences. Through footy and, and also through just work and, and applying for different jobs. I think it's at the wider community are tolerating and, and wanting diversity to a certain degree. But when we push past different boundaries, I think that's when, and we challenge the norm and challenging the norm of what someone from a multicultural or diverse background. Um, can do and can't do, I think that's challenging for, for some people, and sometimes that gets um, take that takes a little time for people to accept and acknowledge and and and, and welcome, and it's upsetting when it when it happens. Um, I've had a few experiences, even like for example, applying jobs as a physiotherapist, I just wanted to treat anyone and athletes, regardless of what culture they're from, but a lot of the different interviews that i had coming out of uni was oh she's muslim she's she can speak arabic we can hire her and she can work in the diverse area and i was like no i'm not those are things that don't define me i'm I'm me i am layo i want to treat athletes um, of all nations of all colors of all people i don't want to be categorized into a certain group and i think sometimes as a community or as a wider community we seek to categorize people and we need to actually get rid of those categorizations and just welcome everyone as humans and as people.
1: Well, Lael Kasim, I think you're an incredible human being. Thank you so much for joining us on Everyday Greatness today. Thank you, Lael, and thank you to Ryan Fitzgerald, who I spoke to earlier as well. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fourth year in a row. Thank you to Look Studio Australia for recording this podcast. And I hope that when you put your device down, In a little while, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe bag of Donuts. I hope you can join us next week where I'll be speaking to two plumbers and ex-AFL footballers, David Dighton, who played for the North Melbourne Kangaroos and Mark Livy, who played for the Sydney Swans. I'll be talking to them about how you can help your competition to make you better and not have to drag them down. To find out more about that episode or Everyday Greatness in general, go to our website, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening, and thank you, Lael.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.